Hello, my friends. This is Bishop Campbell welcoming you again to a short meditation on the theme of living the Catholic life. Have you often heard of how, in fact, our society seems to be uh, coming apart? There's a greater isolation of individuals within our, our society. In fact, even calling it a society is, is maybe a misnomer. But uh, uh, the source uh, of alienation, I've heard that very much. And in fact, I think it was intensified during the COVID epidemic. And I think of the effect that it has had on our children who did feel in the school particularly or being out of school, a sense of that being apart, being isolated. And that sense of isolation, I think, is encouraged to a certain extent by our technology. I am amazed at how some workers proficient in the technological world don't want to go back to work with fellow workers in an office. Uh, they may have many reasons for it, and I think many of the reasons are a little more uh, spiritual and a, a little more social than simply wanting to remain at home, extending breakfast while you walk or work, and uh, just living your life in your pajamas. But I think a lot of the uh, sense of isolation in society, of alienation, comes from a fading sense of the immediacy of God in life. In an age in which we were perhaps more naive, that is, did not understand in a natural science uh, meaning, uh, the full scope of the creation around us, the, the nature of the universe and so forth, that, that God was much more immediate. Nature seemed to speak uh, of God's goodness and allowed us to understand what it meant to say that creation is the first revelation of God to us. And starting in the 17th uh, century, I think, there was a growing sense of distance between uh, human beings and God the Creator. I love to quote the French mathematician and religious thinker Blaise Pascal, who was a brilliant mathematician, very deeply interested in um, scientific discoveries and in engineering, he seems to have made what he called his counting machine that became the basis, several centuries later, of what most people hold in their hand. That is the basis of a computer. But yet, in a religious uh, transformation through which he went, and he describes it in a beautifully and handwritten uh, work of how he came to realize the power and immediacy of God, in which he said, I now have encountered through Jesus Christ the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, not simply the God of the philosophers. And there was an immediacy, a personality 
uh, about the whole uh, experience. And it's not that Blaise Pascal then abandoned his scientific efforts. He continued uh, with them, but continued with them in an entirely different sense that, uh, as he once said, you know, I've heard people express the fear of our, uh, of our discoveries and what they are telling us. We have the telescope. We can look deep and deep into the universe. And uh, we are sometimes overwhelmed by the immensity of the, the universe. And in fact, he said, how are we going to live with the silence of this vast and dark universe? How are we to live when the universe, when the heavens, no longer seem to speak to us of, of God. And uh, Pascal used his religious conversion, that sense of the immediacy of uh, God and Jesus Christ, really to kind of both color and put in perspective these scientific uh, discoveries. He was once when a friend uh, was with him, and they were talking about uh, the power of the telescope, the, the way the universe is being opened up to our investigation. And the friend turned to Pascal and said, you know, in the immensity of the universe, man is pretty insignificant astronomically. And Blaise Pascal turned to him and said, well, astronomically speaking, man is the astronomer. Man ourselves are creating that sense of distance from our discoveries and whatnot. We are defining it. The universe isn't saying, hello, wake up, you're lonely, you're insignificant. It's we who are drawing certain conclusions from it. And I say all of this because in, on September the 29th, we celebrate the feast of St. Michael and all archangels. And it brings up the matter of angels in a Christian thinking and theology. Now, I grant you that over time, uh, we have tried to picture angels, and it's difficult because angels are pure creatures, uh, but uh, purely uh, spiritual in their lives. They do not have bodies. They are not part of the material reality. And in fact, they don't even have time because of this. So it's very difficult to, uh, to picture uh, an angel. We can't picture them, but we can experience them. And that's a, a different kind of, of sensation. But because we have tried to picture them, and this is very natural to humans, I mean, we are embodied, we have eyes, we can uh, hear and see, and we, we want to have the pictures to us because so often the ability to draw a picture allows us to realize we can handle the reality we picture. This is why we paint pictures of the devil as well. We make him less fearful by being able to picture him and, and sometimes hoping that we can capture the reality of the devil in that picture. But of course, the devil himself is a fallen angel and purely spiritual. But he can be experienced. 
But I want to deal with those angels who, from their very first moment of their creation, were called to make a choice for or against God. In fact, I often think of that fearsome moment when they were created and they immediately had to make that decision. We as human beings, both uh, being material reality and, and spiritual reality, were given time to make that decision formally and finally for, for God. But these, these angels who made that decision for God became, first of all, the reality of the power of the worship of the Creator. There are angels, the seraphim and the cherubim, who are closest to the face of God, whose entire existence is made up in whirling about God in awe and in power and in worship of God. But the angels were also created out of concern for human life. After all, the word angel comes from the Greek, which means messenger. And the angels became a way of communicating the presence of God to humans. And in the Old Testament, many people feared that if they were brought immediately into the presence of God, they'd die. It would blow all of their circuits. In fact, even Moses saw God, but only the back of God, not his, his face. And yet Moses glowed with the glory of God that uh, faded only over time. But these angels were the messengers, and there was a concern for life. They also, of course, guide. They're there to prompt. They cannot control our lives, but they can nudge it along pointing here or there. But I think in a deeper sense, the understanding of angels allows us to avoid, and in fact, maybe the word escape is a better term, a purely material or mechanical understanding of the universe. You know, avoiding that sensation that we are merely playthings of an impersonal universe. That God may have created it and started at the beginning, wound up the clock, but then after that started ticking, just left and did other things. And we become simply responses to stimuli, responses to a mechanical reality about us. No, the angels, I think, tell us that the universe itself, a creation of God, a revelation of God, is charged with power and meaning and purpose and choices that can be uh, taken and can have meaning. And these angels prompting us to realize that I think is one of the greatest sources of not only the humanization of ourselves, a realization of our spiritual nature, but a realization that that spiritual nature is, in fact, always expressed in our bodies. Our bodies are the sacrament of our person. But yet, they have reality, they have meaning, 
They have life. They're being called to everlasting life. And the the presence of of the angels reminds us that we are not alone in this community. The angels, I think, help us to form that community of believers. It is a prompt for us to worship God. In fact, one of the first ways by which angels encourage us is encourage us to worship God. That may be their primary function among uh, human sorts. You all know that hymn, Praise My Soul, the the King of Glory. Uh, But uh, actually, if you look at the uh, fourth verse, I think it's still the fourth verse, I don't know, some others may have been interspersed. It was called, the the hymn is Lauda Anima, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven. And the final line begins, angels help us to adore him. Actually, a lot of people don't look at that verse very carefully because the the word angels is followed by a, a comma. That word is vocative, not the beginning of a sentence. Angels, the hymn says, help us to adore him. It's a prayer to the angels. And of course, angels do help us to adore him, but this is angels help us to adore him as he is. But angels also, as individuals and as a community, assist and prompt us along our journey, clarifying, enlightening, pointing, guardian. I I think that, I I don't know if the uh, prayer to the guardian angels is still taught to children, but a sense that we are never alone. And the presence of the angels is a defense against the evil one. Whenever I, I think of St. Michael battling uh, the Satan and his minions, I think of the experience when I was a very young child, maybe five or six, in a thunderstorm. And of course, that can be fearsome. And if it was a particularly violent lightning and thunderstorm, my mother would always light the communion candle. And uh, I'd say to my father, you know, what, what is this all about? And he'd say, oh, it's the Dutchman in the Catskills bowling. I thought, well, gee, that's kind of <laughs> interesting. But later my grandmother uh, clarified that. She said, no, it's Michael casting the devils out of heaven. And uh, I don't know, I'm torn between the two explanations, but I think it touches upon the power of angels to defend us from the the evil one. And as we celebrate this feast, I think the angels and the presence of the angels challenge us. First of all, to overcome the sense of isolation or helplessness we may have in society. And as Christians, seeking out the lonely and the confused and offering that sense that uh, to them they are not alone. I think of the work that religious sisters acting as nurses did in the Civil War. They were asked by various generals, both in the North and in the South, to act as their nurses in the field hospitals for the care of the wounded. They, in fact, simply 
started it, worked it, got the training. They were universally uh, admired and and thanked for their work. And the uh, the soldiers, the wounded uh, soldiers in the uh, field hospitals, referred to them as angels of the battlefield. Very powerful sense of how that angelic sense can overcome isolation and fear. But it is up to us to express that physically and really in a bodily form. Let us be encouraged to establish the community of life so essential to human flourishing. It is not simply a community of behavior condemned by natural mechanical forces. This is a community of choice for the good, a community of caring, a community of a sense that we are here together in this process. We may be individually saved, but we are always saved within a community. It is a community of worship, a community of prayer, a community of care and charity. Angels, help us to adore him and help us to live as angels of our own society. <laughs>